Hi, this is Vinny Apice, and you're listening to Focus on Metal. Hey, Metalhead, Scott Thompson here, welcoming you to yet another episode of Focus on Metal. So you're probably asking yourselves, what is going on this week on Focus on Metal? And uh, this week we are having a, a Cozy Powell special. That's right, kind of popped up out of nowhere. But uh, Richie had got uh, an interview with uh, Laura Shenton, who has put out a brand new book on Cozy, entitled Dance with the Devil. And we'll be talking with Laura this week. And then Richie thought, you know what? I bet I can find somebody else in the Cozy Powell camp that would round this whole thing out and make a really nice and complete show. So he actually got a hold of Colin Hart. And Colin is definitely what you would call an insider to the whole Cozy Powell story, having been the tour manager for both Deep Purple and Rainbow. And back in 2011, Colin had put out a book, called A Heart Life, the life story of Deep Purple and Rainbow's tour manager. And this guy, he was actually working with uh, Deep Purple right up until 2001. So uh, definitely guy has a hell of a story. And uh, Richie's going to be talking with Colin as well and uh, pretty much kind of rounding out the whole thing this week as he gives us some great uh, Cozy Powell and uh, other road stories. So definitely a lot to listen to this week as uh, we kind of turn the week over to uh, Cozy Powell and you know, one of the things I do like about Cozy is he actually was uh, associated with a band called Bedlam, and I, of course, have called my studio for years Bedlam Studios, so really do like that. But, you know, Cozy was with Rainbow from, like, 76 up until uh, 1979's Down to Earth, well as some some live stuff as well. He was with Michael Shanker on uh, MSG, as well as uh, One Night at Budokan. The White Snake, he was on Slide It In. He uh, obviously a huge part of Emerson Lake and Powell. He's with Force Field. He was with Sabbath for Headless Cross for Tire and with Forbidden, and he even uh, played with uh, with Brian May. And of course, he's also been associated with a lot of other people too. You know, Ingve is is another one that pops up on that as well. And you know, of course, what a lot of people do remember about Cozy is that he was uh, he was taken from us way too quickly. And uh, actually, last week would have been the uh, 22nd anniversary of uh, Cozy's passing uh, on April 5th, uh, 1998. And, you know, one other little interesting tidbit before we go into Richie's chat with Laura is that uh, Cozy's website is still actually up. His webmaster has been maintaining it ever since uh, Cozy's passing, and it's pretty much... uh, for all intents and purposes, exactly the way it was when uh, when Cozy passing. He's like I said, he's been maintaining it in Cozy's memory ever since. So kind of a time capsule hanging out there, and that is uh, CozyPowell.com. So first up, as I said, Richie will be talking to Laura Shenton all about her brand new book, Dance with the Devil, the Cozy Powell story. And uh, it's also interesting that, you know, we've had authors on the show, but I don't think we've ever had an author who has a master's in music that's written a book. So kind of a unique take on that as well. But then as you listen to their chat, you find that Laura is definitely a true blue Cozy Powell fan as well. So uh, I know that Richie's read the book. I haven't yet, uh, but I am truly, truly looking forward to that just based on those two things I mentioned. And Laura has another book that we published before that too, which is a book on Tommy Bolin. That one is titled Tommy Bolin In and Out of Deep Purple. So be on the lookout for that one as well. But uh, right now, why don't I turn it over to Richie and Laura Shenton. Hello. Hi, Laura. It's Richie. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hi, good morning. Yeah, I'm sorry. I was an hour early. Um, like I'm, okay. ca- I'm calling you from outside Boston, and our clocks went back here. Our foot, no, it was a back or forth. Oh. And and um, once a year, they both switch at the same time. And another another time, they it's like a week or two apart. And I called my mum yesterday in Ireland, my <laughs> mum and dad, and I should have asked them what time it was, and I didn't. So, oh bless you! Don't worry about it. It's okay. So so for two weeks of the year. You're four hours ahead, and for the other fifty weeks of the year, you're five hours ahead. Oh wow, that's well tricky. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, um, just to let you know, I've read the book. I got the book, read it, mm-hmm. enjoyed it. So, I'd like to spend about twenty minutes with you, if that's okay. We'll just talk about Cozy Powell and the book and all of that stuff. 
Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Okay, how much press have you done for the book so far? Not a tremendous amount. Um, I mean, most most of that's dealt with by Weimer, um, the publisher. Um, so, so you're my first interview uh, with regards to this book. Wow, I'm I'm surprised. Yeah, <laughs> we've had we've had a few people ask for review copies, but but I think you were the most proactive in getting in touch, hence you in the first interview. Well, the, the way the way I do it with books is, um, I can go the I can go the route where I just get a copy and do the review, and I've done that. But normally, I'm reading a book first of all because I'm interested in the subject matter in the book, and I always want to talk to the author uh, if I can and. I've had authors on the show before. I've had Mick Wall on. I've had Joel McGyver. They're both from the UK. You're probably aware of who they are. Um, I've had Martin. Yeah, pa- I've had Martin Popoff on, who's done about ninety books. I've had him on a few times. So, um, I always try and get the person on if I can to talk about the book. Oh, that's brilliant. I've, I've listened to a few. I, I listened to the one you did with um, James Curl, who did the um, the Dio book couple of years ago. Okay. Um, so yeah, that's pretty cool, yeah. Oh, so you, you listen to the show. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's good. So, so let's, let's get into the, the Cozy Powell book, Dance with the Devil. Um, how surprised were you that there was no book done on Cozy before your one? Do you know, it's something I've always wondered. Um, when I'm sort of listening to Rainbow and I'm thinking, right, Blackmore's had a book done on him. Those Dio, so you know, like the 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 key players from from that lineup, and and I thought, you know, I'm I'm listening to like Stargaze, and I'm thinking nobody's done a book on Cozy Powell. Well, not not in English at least, um, yeah. So I thought, well, somebody's got to. Nobody has yet, so, so I did it. <laughs> so so where where do you start? Um, do you start getting? the research together and then go with a general idea to a publisher or do you pitch it to the publisher first and then go from there? I pitched it first um, because I just thought, I I thought surely, surely it's not the case that nobody's done one yet. But I looked into it and and they haven't. And, you know, I I like to write what the sort of things that I want to read and I thought I can't be the only one out there. So I, I pitched the idea um, it got the green light, and um, I, I knew what I wanted the book to say already. Um, it's predominantly chronological, but I sort of started from the point at which he came, you know, became more prominent in the public eye. So I started with the whole Dance with the Devil thing, the single, and how that took off, and then um, I followed chronologically thereafter because I thought. Toby Powell, he, he is a household name. I mean, I, I know him kind of like people who like heavy metal and hard rock, you know, it's, it's a given, you, you're likely to know who he is. But even people, you know, just who aren't as into that music, you say, oh, I'm, I'm doing a book on Cody Powell. And they're like, oh, I've, I've heard that name. And yeah, I, I just felt that, why why doesn't this guy have his own book? Right, he's getting one. <laughs> so I did it. Mm. Did, did you ever contact any other authors that are in the rock field? And try and get feelers as to why there'd never been a book about Cozy. Maybe there was a reason. And you, you kind of hinted at it in your introduction that his private life was very private, that there mightn't actually be a story there about him that, that people might want to read, that it might already be out there, you know, already in articles and interviews that he'd done. Yeah, I mean... The angle I was going for, I deliberately didn't get in touch with anybody, which sounds bonkers, but the logic behind that was I thought, right, it's over two decades since he passed, so people's perceptions might have changed and so on and so forth. And I also thought, you know, when he was alive, when he did have the opportunity to speak to the media, he, as far as we know, embraced his own choice with regards what he did and didn't want to say. So I thought, I'm going to maintain the level of privacy that I believe he wanted to maintain because I thought at the end of the day I'm just a fan and it's, it's not my job it's not my place to go digging for things that Carol might not want to put out there anyway mm. Was there anything you f- you found when you were researching and writing the book though that made you feel that you should reach out to someone else who was, who was there and maybe corroborate the story to make sure that what he actually said was was true? 
No, there wasn't really a tremendous need to do that because what I found was throughout all his interviews, he was very consistent in terms of what he said about each of, and it's all in the book, you know, in terms of what he said about each of his experiences with each of the bands, you know, that um, I think in terms of his um, relationship, if you will, with the media or lack thereof, um, it was very much a case of he was quite explicit in terms of which bands he enjoyed working with, which ones he didn't. And um, I just felt, to be honest, um, to inter- considering how long ago it was that he passed, I just felt to interview people. Like, so if I, I mean, I'm not saying that all famous people have a skeleton in their closet or anything kind of sinister like that, not at all. Um, certainly nothing I know of, as I say. But um, it's just that thing I thought, what, what would be the use in me sort of interviewing people? And they said, oh, he was this, he was that, he did this, he did that. And because the man himself is no longer here, and I thought, well, he can't corroborate or, you know, express an opinion either way. So I thought, in terms of being sort of loyal and fair to his legacy, I thought, let's, you know, do something that sort of hones in on what people said about him when he was alive, what he said about his music when he was alive. And I think also that that sort of empowered me to write something that was more in line with keeping the legacy, you know, so what What did Cody Powell say about his music? What did Cody Powell say about his life and his experiences? So, you know, obviously when you read the book, I've quoted him loads because it, it's his story. I'm, I'm just the narrator. <laughs> mm. do, you, do you think that um, in looking through all the articles and, and all the interviews that you, you're able to get, that for the most part, he was ignored within for interview requests by the with the bands he was in that they mostly wanted to talk to Richie, they mostly wanted to talk to Coverdale and Michael Schenker that maybe a lot of the stuff isn't out there because he wasn't asked to do interviews in the first place. Oh yeah, it's bonkers and that's another reason why I really wanted to write the book because I mean I think it's a drummer's thing, isn't it? You know, they're they're not seen as front men. Um it's like that bloody awful joke, isn't it, where people say, who's the guy that hangs out with the band? Oh, the drummer. <laughs> and it's so derogatory to the amount of skill that he brought, um, you know, to which band he played in. I mean, I, I spoke to a fan who, who said, um, not as part of the doing the book, just, just general chat once upon a time. Somebody said, oh, I, I, um, I met, um, I was backstage and everybody wanted to talk to Richie Blackmore and, um, you know, Cody Powell sort of said he was used to being overlooked. Now, I didn't include that in the book because that's hearsay and I wanted to avoid that, really. Um, but, yeah, I, I imagine it, it probably took, you know, it must have been hard. It must have been hard to, to be overshadowed. But having said that, you know, it, in, all the, in my, all, all the research I did, it sort of comes across that Cody Powell wasn't too bothered about the celebrity thing, you know, wasn't too bothered about the stardom thing. So... Maybe he didn't need to feel, I, I don't know, I can't speak for him as a fan, just a narrator, but perhaps there was a sense that he didn't need to feel validated by lots of admiration because there were so many instances in which he said, well, I can just go and do me racing. <laughs> you oh. know, um, in, in fact, before he joined Rainbow and Blackmore said, hey, you know, there was the possibility that Cody Powell was going to just leave music altogether and, you know, do racing instead. So I, perhaps he was, no pun intended. Perhaps he was very down to earth about the whole thing. Hmm. Now, which band was Cozy in uh, when you got into him originally? Rainbow. Yeah. You know, I worked really hard not to make it a Rainbow book because there's just so much to say about that band. Hmm. Hmm. Was it which which incarnation of was it was it the Graham Bonnet one or was it the Ronnie James Dio one? Both. I like both. I think they're amazing. The first Rainbow I ever, Rainbow song I ever heard was All Night Long, which ironically is on the album that Cozy Powell said at the time he wasn't a fan of. Um, but yeah, Rainbow's an amazing band, and I just thought it'd be cool to do a book that added to that side of the literature. But also, of course, you know, Cozy Powell didn't just do Rainbow. There, there were so many sort of high-profile bands he was in that, that a lot of people, I, I wouldn't want to use the word forget, but I thought, you know, let's, let's put all this into a book. <laughs> mm. did, did you follow the bands that he moved to because Cozy moved to them, or were you a fan of Whitesnake? Were you a fan of Sabbath anyway? I think that um, both Whitesnake and Sabbath are both great bands. I mean, <laughs> for the purposes of being objective, I won't tell you about the bands 
Powell was in that I'm not so much a fan of. Because <laughs> mm. um, I tried to be really objective when I wrote the book and I thought I, I don't want it to come across that I'm sort of praising some more than others. Uh, to be honest with you, um, I'll reveal my age. Um, when <laughs> when Cozy Powell passed away, I was still in primary school. <laughs> okay. So I didn't really engage with his music until quite a while after he passed. Mm. What, what, what was it about his drumming that attracted you to him, though? I just think... I mean, the Rainbow Rising album, that, that's, I mean, all the Rainbow fans love that album as, as well, predominantly. And I mean, that, that solo at the start of Stargazer, I mean, that, that's mind blowing, um, the way they did it in terms of the acoustics and the way, the technique he uses, and, and I've gone into detail, um, in the book about this. It's just that whole kind of, you know, he's using both his feet and that enables speed and power and the way he's using the sticks as well. It's, it's all about the power. But in sort of projecting that sort of power, no speed is lost. Like I'd imagine for some drummers, it, perhaps they're better at one than the other. But Powell is so consistent, and I think that's what makes the Rainbow Rising album so brilliant. And you know, long live rock and roll. It's just so consistent. I mean, with Dance with the Devil, the, the, the track itself. Ironically, he he said on several occasions that that wasn't much of a challenge for him. Um, the same with the Whitesnake album, um, slide in, he said that that wasn't too much of a challenge. He says the rhythms on it are quite basic um, and it didn't push him in the way that, for example, working with um, Emerson and Lake did. Um, but I think that's another really thing about his drumming and his career. Like, he, he was so adaptable you know every band has different demands in terms of style and speed content so for the rainbow you've got sort of what early people consider what people consider to be like early heavy metal and then you know it's it's he's done the more pop side of things he's done the heavier stuff with black Sabbath, and i just think it's a real mix of being versatile enough to sort of meet the demands of you know several high profile bands but i i think that's really noteworthy Mm. I, I, one of the things that I really enjoyed about the beginning of the book, and I think a lot of young bands need to take note of this, is the Jews that all these guys put in before they even became famous, because he spent a, long, a, a lot of time in Germany playing multiple sets a night, and then he did a ton of session work. And a lot of it, you even said yourself, um, we don't know if he's actually on it or not. And and then he actually went somewhere for, from there. But a lot of young bands now they think, yeah, I'll put a few videos on YouTube, I'll play a couple of gigs, and I'm famous. Um, but he really did pay his dues before he got anywhere. Mm. It's it's amazing. I mean, it's it. I, perhaps it's a sign of the times. Um, obviously, we've got the luxury of the internet now in terms of people seeking immediate fame. I mean, whether that's the way forward or not, <laughs> who am I to say? But certainly when he went to Germany and when he did the session work, um, like I, I found it really interesting doing the uh, discography part of the book because I, I thought I'm going to be honest with readers, there, there's going to be gaps in this unless an expansive amount of research is done. And even then we could be clutching at straws because the fact is he was a session musician um, when he wasn't a household name, you know, when, when session musicians weren't being credited for their work. So, he could have a discography of, of like unnamed, uncredited projects that could range anything from 10 to, I don't know, 100, like a few hundred. Like, there's, there's literally no way of telling. And, and I think it's sad in a way, you know, someone could be hearing this track and they've no idea who's drumming or, you know, whatever. It's There's a poignancy to that, I suppose. Mm. Now, the, the interview quotes you have throughout the book from Cozy, how easy was it to find all that material? Super easy because I'm a hoarder. <laughs> um, it was really easy to find those. Um, so, like for um, like the sounds and the melody maker um, and the NME uh, magazines and all like the tour things. I had a lot of those already, and while I I hadn't, I kind of shopped around for them. So, for me, the the process of writing the book was more about sort of corroborating things and putting them together rather than starting from scratch. Mm. And is there a lot of audio out there of him doing interviews? Not so much. I, I say that cautiously because, like on YouTube, um, there's a there's a reasonable range of um, like televised interviews, um, which, which I mentioned in the book. 
Um, but there could be more. Again, it, it sort of comes down to the, the time that it, you know, he was prominent. Hmm. Did you find that over time he was pretty consistent with his stance towards certain things? Um, I'll give you an example, right? From the very beginning, it seems pretty obvious that he had a, a certain level of disdain for the business side of music. And you can see throughout the whole book that that more or less stayed the same, that the music to him was priority number one. And a lot of the bands he left was be, for business reasons that either, you know, the, the contract they offered him wasn't up to snuff at what he felt he was due or, or the band went in a commercial direction like Rainbow. But did you find that on other aspects of, of, of his career, he, he was pretty consistent with, with, with his beliefs? Yeah, definitely. Um, it was quite easy to, well, it was an easy element of writing the book was the, was the fact that he was so consistent. Um, everything that he said corroborated, you know, it's, ironically, perhaps every band he left, um, it was often the case that when he was interviewed, he was like, no, I'm going back to racing. I'm done with it or I will be done with it. But of course, that never happened. And I, it comes across um, that he, you know, when I was doing my research, it, I really got the sense that he, he did, the drumming because that's what he wanted to do and that's what he was good at but in terms of all the, the sort of rubbish that comes with the industry side it it strikes me that he you know he was in it for the music and he didn't need to be doing it for like the whole rock and roll thing because there's also um, I mentioned in the book about you know his, his house and his touring um, and yeah it must, must have been a weird life a weird and busy life mm. um, but yeah, I think it came across as very professional in the interviews. I mean, um, I'm, I mentioned in the book that there are instances um, with a number of the bands he was in where, where the journalists asked him questions that were kind of, oh, are you annoyed with so-and-so blah, 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 or what did so-and-so do? And in every instance, he was he was just so professional. You know, I, I, I get the sense that he didn't see such interviews as an opportunity to to be disparaging of, of any colleagues. And I, I think that more people should do that in the industry because I think it's nice for fans as well. You know, there's a lot more positive energy behind that approach. Mm, it's, it's interesting you bring up that point because when I had John MacGyver on recently, he had just brought out a book with David Vincent, who was, the, he was a singer for Marvin Angel. He's done books in the past, and I've talked about this with Joel, and the, the musician has brought up people that he's worked with. And Joel has said to him, are you sure you want to put that in print? Because once that goes in print, it's there forever. Like if you, if you, want, to wow. throw, if you want to throw dirt on someone now, you can put it in there, but it's going <laughs> to it's gonna haunt you. And Cozy seemed to be able to take mm. the high road. Yeah, I think that's really admirable. I, I just think, I mean, <laughs> for, for us non-famous people to, to be disparaging of a, of a person, that's quite low and embarrassing, but to do it in the public eye, Oh, I find it cringy. So the fact that <laughs> Cody Powell didn't do that, I just think credit to him. You know that, uh, and that's something I very much sort of celebrated throughout writing the book. Really. Hmm. Now, there's one aspect of his life that is outside of music that we all know about was his love of racing. Um, hmm. Was that one aspect of his life that maybe you, you could have gone down a little bit more and maybe talked to people from maybe that that end of it? to get maybe why, where the love of racing came from, how good was he at doing it, that that kind of a thing. Do you know, that would actually make, if someone's listening and feels like writing this, please do, I think that in itself would make a really good book. <laughs> because he did it professionally for a while. I mean, there isn't a lot known about it. But if, if there is anybody in the know, write it, you know, because... I mean, it's it's even like nearly 50 years ago that Rainbow Rising was made and there's going to come a time where the people who know about this or the resources that refer to this are no longer available. So I, I think in terms of writing about anyone who's contributed to music, you know, put it out there. <laughs> you know, go, I mean, it's, I don't personally, I don't really understand enough about racing to to do justice to that subject matter. But if anyone does, write that book. <laughs> Seriously. Mm. So, so, Laura, was there any particular aspect of Cozy's life that you felt wasn't well known that you really wanted to address in the book? 
No, not at all. Everything I wrote was based on what I know. I, I didn't have one of those moments where I thought, oh, God, don't put that in. Um, so it was a pretty simple, really, in that regard. I was very literal about it. Um, if, if, it if I knew it, if I had the information, if I had something to say about it, it went in. But I didn't really come across anything where I felt, don't put that in there. Hmm. Final question before I leave you go, Laura, and this is a hypothetical, but I'm sure you've thought about this for years. If you were to ask Cozy one question, what would you ask him? Make another album. <laughs> That's an instruction, isn't it? <laughs> That's an instruction rather than a, oh, my bad. But no, he, that, that is probably what I'd have said. I'd have probably just said thanks for the music, but again, that's not a question, is it? Um, I'd like, I mean, I went into a lot of detail in this in the book um, about how he did the drums for Rainbow Rising, but I think I'd just say to him, can I have a drum lesson? <laughs> that's really bad, but yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, so if someone was to ask you one record that he's on as an introduction to his playing, you're probably going to say Rainbow Rising, but if you are, pick another one. Over the top, because oh. it's not commercially well-known, um, but it was his, you know, he did it as a solo project um, with Don Airy on keyboards, obviously, who worked with on Rainbow um, recently prior to making that album. Over the Top is a really interesting example of Toby Powell's drumming because it's it's not all heavy. It shows, um, I wouldn't go as far as saying it shows a sensitive side, but it it's just a really fun album. It wasn't promoted in the way that, you know, his work with Rainbow, Whitesnake, Black Sabbath was, but it's it's just a damn good album. You know, and the same with um, in terms of his work um, under the Force Field name and any of his solo work. It's, it's you know, if, if people were really into listening to drums, that is the kind of stuff that's worth listening to. Because I was going to say, oh, because it it really puts a spotlight on the drumming, but in a way, it kind of doesn't. Like he was such a team player, and he said so himself in a range of interviews. Like all, like for example, over the top, it's very much a group effort. Like it shows his drumming in such a way that you think yeah that's some really good drumming but it's not to the extent that it overshadows what the other musicians are doing so yeah it's, a, it's worth a listen mm. so Laura tell everyone where they can get a copy of the book you can get a copy of the book from the Weimar website so that's Weimar W-Y-M-E-R Weimar.co.uk or if like me your memory's not too great just google it Weimar Weimar Publishing and you can get it the book officially comes out on March the 20th, but you can actually get it before then if you order through the Wyman website. Okay, and are you working on another book now? Oh, yes. <laughs> I love writing, so um, I can't sleep too much, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm working on more books. <laughs> okay. Well, Laura, I'm going to leave you go. Um, thanks for the interview. I really enjoyed the book. Thank you. Okay, and c- keep them coming. And Maybe the next one, if it's hopefully it's a rock band, I'll be able to get you back on. I'll help you promote that. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's definitely going to be some more rock. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very fun band to write about. Listen, every author I have on, I'll ask them what their next book is, and nearly all of them can't tell me. So you're not the first. Oh, oh bless you. Do you know, I've got manuscripts on the go. I just don't know which one's going to come out first. <laughs> okay. okay. Um, I'm, I'm a bit of a juggler like that. Mm-hmm. I love recommending books to authors. I'd love someone to do a, a really good book on Def Leppard. Oh, but you should do it. You should do it. Like Me? <laughs> I'm, I'm, yeah, genuinely. No way. No way. I wouldn't know where to start. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no way. Nah. Well, if, if it needs doing, somebody better blooming do it, because these legacies matter, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm going to leave you go, Laura. It's been really enjoyable. Thank you. Yeah, and best of luck with the book, and I hope you get a lot of interviews. Thank you. Good uh, luck with your show. I think it's blooming brilliant. Right, thanks very much. Keep listening if you want, and keep dropping me a line. Let me know all the good and bad about it. Awesome. I will do. All right, Laura. Take care of yourself. Thank you. And that is a wrap for Richie's chat with Laura Shenton, the offer of Dance with the Devil, the Cozy Powell story. And as she said, you can get that all over the place. But if you want to get it right from the publisher, 
the website that she mentioned was Weimer Publishing. That's W-Y-M-E-R. And in fact, when I went up there to take a look at what else they had, one of the first things I saw was uh, The Sun Goes Down, which is a book by our buddy Martin Popoff about Phil Linnott. And another book that I saw on that page is by our next guest. That is A Heart Life by our... Our, like I said, guy we have up next, Colin Hart, who served as tour manager for not only Deep Purple, but also, of course, Rainbow. So this guy spent over 30 years out on the road with bands, and he really does know his stuff. He's got some great stories to tell, and this week he's dropping in on Focus on Metal to do just that. Tell us some stories. Pretty much a good roundup because we got the kind of the academic view from Laura, and then we have the road dog, all the other good stories from Colin. And we're going to get to that right now. Hello? Is that Colin? Yeah. Hi, Colin. It's Richie here. Uh, yeah, how are you doing? I'm good. Is now a good time? Yeah, I guess. It's yeah. good a time as any while we're all still alive. Yeah. So, did you know Cozy Powell at all before he got the job in Rainbow as a drummer? No, I only knew of him. I didn't know him. Okay. Did uh, did his name come up to audition for the band a lot? How far into the process of the auditions did his did his name come up? Like, was he one of the first to try out? Oh no, we we tried out dozens of guys out in LA when we were rehearsing out there, hmm. and uh, he was one of the, the the last ones, actually, more out of desperation that we needed somebody <laughs> more talented and more suiting for the job, you know. Hmm. And do you remember? Because he flew. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh no, of course he flew in uh, to LA from England for the rehearsal. For Well, it was kind of an audition rehearsal. I mean, it was almost a foregone conclusion that he would get the job. Why do you think his name didn't come up earlier in the process? I think Richie initially, I don't know this for sure, but I suspect that Richie initially wanted someone unknown in the band, you know, someone who could really do a good job. I mean, he really did go through a lot of drummers, and one of his main questions to these drummers was, can you play a shuffle? (laughs) And a a couple of them couldn't. And, you know, so they were eliminated immediately, and that's the first thing he asked Cozy when he came in. So, can you play a shuffle? And Cozy just laughed and started playing and that was kind of it, you know. It was, it was almost immediate that he was in the band. Did uh, Did Richie know Cozy at all personally? Uh, not before that first meeting. No, he only heard of him. Okay, so so tell me about the the, the actual audition. So Cozy sets up to play, and Richie and Jimmy Bain just start playing, and Cozy follows the lead, or or what way did it work? No, no. Cozy wandered, I mean, Cozy wandered in, you know, and had lots of equipment there, and he got set up the way he wanted. Richie wandered over and kind of said, one of the first questions was, can you play a shuffle? And Cozy just laughed and started playing a shuffle, and then everybody just joined in, and that was it. That was off and running. Mm. And, uh, you know, he was a thunderous based at, um, drum player, as you know. And Richie loved the way he played, so that was kind of it. He was, he was in. Mm. And when he played, did he have the double bass drum set up? We, you know, I can't remember the exact setup we had for the rehearsals, the first rehearsal, but I, I suspect he did, yeah, because I can't quite picture it now. Mm. But, Colin, what were your mm. first impressions of him as a person? Um, like, did you did you pick him up from the from the airport to bring him to the audition? Uh, yeah, we went out there. We got him a, a ride in from the airport. He was he came in with a guy called Bob Adcock, who was kind of his personal manager at the time. And uh, it, it, I just immediately got on with Cozy. It was like an instant like. I don't know if he felt the same about me, but I really liked him right off the bat. He was so natural and unstar-like, if you know what I mean. He had no no airs and graces about him. He was just real down to earth. Hmm. One of the things Laura mentions in the book about him, and I'm sure you can expand maybe a little bit on this, was 
with Cozy, the music was everything. Um, he wasn't really a fan of the business side, but when it came to the music, he was really dead serious about it. Oh, that's absolutely true. He was, uh, but he did keep an eye on the finances, though. I mean, he wasn't wasn't daft about that, but he, it was all about the music for him. Hmm. Mm. So, tell me about his love of racing. Um, that's mentioned oh, in the book sure. as well. Um, that he actually was thinking before he got the gig in Rainbow of, of doing racing as a career. Yeah, he. Uh, yeah, he absolutely loved it and did it whenever he could. And I actually went uh, to a couple of his races when he was racing BMW. I forget the formula number, but the four-door BMW series. And I went to a couple of his races with him. And uh, he was an amazing driver, you know, kind of fearless, <laughs> same as his drumming. <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, he just absolutely loved it. He felt the same about biking too. His love of motorcycle racing and biking. Mm. Now, Colin, you you being the road manager, um, would Cozy ask you to look up race meetings near where any of the gigs were on, or maybe if you had a day off, he'd say, "Look, Colin, can you have a look around and see if there are any races I can go to?" No, I never did any of that. He was real close with this guy Bob Adcock. Well, I'm sure you've heard of. Yeah. Um, and Bob used to, you know, keep me informed of all race meetings, and he was like his riding partner on the motorbikes and stuff. So that was Bob came aboard with us on Rainbow for a couple of tours, mm. and uh, and then so it just, you know, we carried on without Bob after that. Bob went off and did some other stuff with Scorpions and all that. Mm. Now, when it came to the, the, the day of the show with Cozy, um, what was his ritual? Did, did he have a set ritual that he had to go through before a show? And, and was he a superstitious guy? Not particularly. Uh, the only thing he absolutely insisted on having around um, was his air conditioner right behind the drum kit. He used to have this massive air conditioner blasting at him. And if that wasn't there... I wasn't working. He was uh, not a happy chap. But apart from that, he was just, you know, he was there and ready whenever anybody needed him. Great. Hmm. What about so someone like, you hear stories about a guy before a show has to have a certain meal or or something like that. Was there any, any demands like that from him at all? Not from him. No, not at all. Okay. No. Okay, so he was very, very easy to deal with on, on the days of shows then. Fantastic, yeah. <laughs> hmm. I'm sure you've probably had your uh, your hands full with uh, everything else that was going on anyway. <laughs> We're not yeah, gonna... <laughs> there was a couple of other tricky situations uh, going on around him, but yeah, one of the best things ever was that Cozy was the only person up until that point that ever stood up to Richie. He didn't take any crap from Richie whatsoever. Was that from the that, ver that was from the very beginning, was it? Almost from the get go, almost from day one. And uh, I think Richie had a lot of respect for him from that standpoint onwards. Mm. Was Ronnie not the same way with Richie standing up to him? Well, only towards the end. It was certainly not in the beginning. But Cozy right off the bat. So and let Richie know that he wasn't going to be pushed around by all these nonsense. <laughs> mm. Did did Cozy get on with Ronnie? Oh, absolutely! Yeah, they loved each other. Those two. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm assuming he got on Ron really well with Jimmy Bain too. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm. Do, do you remember in those early days? You know, we all used to hang around together off stage too. So it was it was great. Mm. So when Bob Daisley got in the band, um, did Cozy say anything to you about he was disappointed Jimmy left, or or did he have a say in who who maybe came in as the bass player? Do you remember him saying, "Oh, we should get Bob Daisley in, or we should try this other person"? Do you know I can't remember how the discussions went on that, but I know he was disappointed that Jimmy had gone, 
but he did love the way the Bob played too, because obviously drums and bass have to gel to a certain extent. Mm. And, uh, you know, he got on great with Bob too once Bob came along. Mm. Was Cozy the type of guy that he had to do a sound check himself the day of the show, or did he let someone else do it for him? Uh, the, his... Uh, Let's see, his drum tech at the time was David Needle, I think. Yeah, David Needle was his main drum tech. And uh, he used to trust whatever David would tell him as far as the kit, the pyro, the drum riser, all that. But if Cody got a chance, he'd like to come along and have a, a belt on the drums, but it wasn't an absolute necessity. Mm. And. Would he have a drum solo now for nearly every show that he did with Rainbow, or was it just for certain tours? How did that all work out? Oh, it was almost every tour because it was a feature. We had, uh, you know, he wanted this crazy drum riser built that actually rolled down the stage and then rose up about eight feet. And uh, so it was a it was a feature at every show. Mm. Colin, tell me about... Um, what happened at Donington when it came to testing out the pyro for uh, for his drum solo? <laughs> Tell me that story. Well, I'm sure you've heard lots of versions, but um, as far as I remember, Cozy wanted the loudest explosion he could possibly have. So they sunk these huge steel pipes into the ground and loaded them up uh, with this blasting powder, of course. And when they set it off, Cozy was like, yeah, that's more like it, but it blew out half the PA. I mean, it just completely shredded like some of the speakers in the PA. And Cozy was like, that's fantastic. That's what I want. That <laughs> <laughs> uh, was amazing. I mean, you know, they had to fly in. I'm not flying, but truck in all sorts of new speaker cabinets and speaker parts and everything. Mm. Colin, I'm sure I'm sure you've seen the movie Spinal Tap. Um, can you remember? Can you remember Cozy Cozy having any Spinal Tap moments uh, on, on stage? Ah, well, there've been uh, <laughs> there've been a few. You know, there was some pyro mistakes, and uh, a couple of times when cables got tangled in the drum riser and it wouldn't go up and wouldn't go as far as he wanted it to. Just, you know, little stuff like that. But fortunately, most of the time, the audience didn't notice these little things. Mm. (laughs) One of the things you do mention in the book was uh, the lighting for the rainbow sign never really worked properly. That would have been right behind Cozy, wouldn't it? No, it was in front, right at the front edge of the stage. Okay. But, you know, that was like such a a new concept back then. Uh, these huge computers that were inside the rainbow itself, just nothing ever worked properly. Every day was a different problem with that. <laughs> Colin, do you it remember? Created, do you, do you, do you, it created massive buzzes through all the equipment. Too. Oh, oh, God. Do you remember Cozy ever playing a show, uh, either Hurt he, he had an injury or he was very sick? Uh, you know, he never... I never don't think I ever saw him with a cold even all the years I knew him. But, uh, no, he was uh, professional to the end. He just showed up and did his bit no matter what. Mm. Um, I, I need you to tell me the story about driving on the Autobahn with him. That's in the book. <laughs> Um, yes yeah because like were you every time you got in a car with him knowing how good a driver he was um, were you literally like grabbing the edges of your seat the way he drove terrifying (laughs) absolutely terrifying the the one in Germany we just we had an accident like in the Mercedes I was driving and it was quite a high-speed accident, and we owned that Mercedes, so we had to get that fixed, and we got a rental. And I was a bit shaken up because I was driving in that accident, and Cozy said, don't worry, I'll drive. And 
he gets in the driving seat of this rented Mercedes and off we go and I'm sitting in the front and I was terrified the whole right from the very first get go and he was tearing down the autobahn and I'm like Jesus Christ you know he's going as fast as the Mercedes would go and we're coming up on a big truck and there's no way to pass this truck because there's traffic on the outside because he opens the sunroof floors it goes up the inside between the guardrail and the truck you know on the breakdown lane passes this truck still with his foot hard to the floor sticks his finger out the roof gives the driver a V sign and <laughs> carries on driving I'm absolutely white as a sheep by this time <laughs> is, is that why you is that why you try to insist to maybe drive when Cozy yeah. was in the car most of the time? Yeah, I was like, that's it. I'm never driving with this guy again. <laughs> and I did. I only got in a car once after that with him driving. I mean, he's a fantastic driver, but terrifying. I got in a Ferrari with him in France once, but it was only to go down to the village. Uh, so that was a pretty short little burst but he almost put my head through the back window when he floored it you know <laughs> did he just... <laughs> did, did he um did he collect um cars like ferraris and that uh well he had a couple of ferraris over the years but when we were in la the first guy he wanted out there and he got was a corvette he had a blue corvette in la and then when we lived in Connecticut, he had a Trans Am with a big, like, 5.7-litre engine or something. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> wow. You know, he just loved speed. Everything had to be... He'd get in a car and everything had to be flat out. He got very bored with slow drivers and people who didn't drive like him. <laughs> now, you you lived with him for a while, Colin. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, about two years. We lived in uh, Connecticut. Did did he uh, when he was off the road and living with, with you? Did he talk music much? Like, what was his other passions? Like, was he big into football or or, or anything else? He loved football. Uh, his team back in those days was Swindon Town, sadly enough. And uh, he just had a love of music. I mean, he loved music. He used to go out and uh, watch a couple of local bands when he could, and yeah, we had a good good time. He'd always have music going in the house. Um, did he play any other instruments other than the drums? Not that I ever saw, no. So how would he add to the songs then, the songwriting, um, if he couldn't show a chord or, or you know something like that to Richie? No, you just lay out these ideas like we are talking now, you know, like how about da, 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 something like that. <laughs> okay. So one of the things I really enjoyed in the book was uh, the pranks that he did. And uh, some <laughs> so, some of them, are, I was cringing yeah. at some of them because you look, you, you, I, I had a guy on earlier this year who wrote a book um, all about bands on the road. And there's a lot of pranks and stories in the book. And, I even said to the author that a lot of these pranks are out of sheer boredom. Um, <laughs> that they don't realise really how they're going to emotionally affect the guy that they're, they're, you know, they're doing the pranks on. Now, it seems to me that Richie was famous for doing pranks, but Cozy was right up there with him for pulling them off as well. Oh yeah, Cozy used to like to, you know, enact all these ideas of Richie's and help them out. And the more dangerous they were, the more cozy liked them. Like if it involved scaling a building or, you know, climbing up a tree to get in a window or something like that. Mm. <laughs> Colin, tell tell me the story about uh, cozy climbing the uh, outside the building with the fire extinguisher. Oh, jeez. Yeah, that was quite amazing. I still, to this day, don't know how he did it exactly. But we were, I think it was Gelsenkirchen in Germany, staying at a Maritime Hotel. And Cozy uh, wanted to prank Eric Thompson and set a fire extinguisher off through the window, you know, the outside window. They had this little tiny, like, uh, top window that opened in all the hotel rooms. And most of them were open, 
and Cozy scaled from the ground floor. He scaled up to like, I forget how many floors. But Terry and a fire extinguisher with him, mind you. And he climbed up to what he thought was Eric's room and set this fire extinguisher off through the window opening and then climbed down. And we later found out that it wasn't Eric's room. <laughs> and he'd all, almost killed some German businessman. Uh, <laughs> so we all got thrown out of the hotel at like about four o'clock in the morning for that one. <laughs> so, Colin, um, what pranks did he pull on you? Uh, very few. Nothing, nothing serious. Richie would be the one that would pull them on me like taking all the furniture out of my room and stuff like that and gluing my door shut. <laughs> but because uh, he didn't do much to me because he knew that I had to do all the cleaning up on their behalf and paying the bill. <laughs> so. so who who was, who was in the band was the main butt of all the pranks? Was there one or two guys that stand out? Back when Cozy and Richie were in cahoots, uh, the, the sad recipient was Tony Carey, unfortunately. Yeah, the keyboard player. Yeah, he took a lot of crap. And thank God he came through it all and is still performing to this day. But <laughs> I think he's forgiven them now. <laughs> he's, had a lot of, he's had a lot of time to think about it. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah. What about... um? Martin Birch, did they pull any pranks on him? No, you know, that's another one. Martin made it quite clear early on. Uh, I think it was at the Chateau in France where we recorded. Um, he had a sit down with Richie and said, you know, this is what I'm not going to put up with. And it was kind of a, I'm putting my foot down here. Don't mess with me. <laughs> And he said, because if you mess with me, I'm off home. That was kind of the deal with Martin. So, do you think that Richie, do, do you think that Richie and Cozy had an understanding that I'm not going to prank you and you're not going to prank me? Uh, to a certain extent, that, yeah. They had a mutual respect because one knew that the other one would do something much more drastic, to, <laughs> you know, in return. So... I mean, we had to convince Cozy at one point he was going to hook up a, a car battery to his hotel, I mean, his chateau door, this metal door. He was going to put one on the door handle and <laughs> one, like, connected to the lock. So if anybody... <laughs> it would have, could have killed somebody, you know. But we talked we talk about that one. <laughs> you can imagine the two of them just sitting in their rooms, like, De- writing this stuff down, devising dastardly plans. No, they were quite evil, the two of them, really. <laughs> but it's funny to look back on, but I, I would hate to have been the recipient of most of this stuff. D- did you did you ever sit down with Cozy and say, look, I'm cleaning up all this shit. You need to put a, a stop to it or you got to tone it down. Or c- Could you actually stop him? Yeah, it was pretty difficult trying to stop him or Richie at the time. <laughs> I mean, you know, the lawyer tried. It was just a case of let them get on with it and hope you're not a recipient and do your best to clean it up the following day with the hotel management or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, try and keep a straight face while you're doing it, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, Colin, the, the, the Down to Earth record, I'm a big fan of that album, right? Um did you get a sense even before they recorded that that Cozy wasn't happy with the way the band was going? Uh, well, yeah, kind of, because we went into that recording without a singer, really. So it was uh, kind of an up-in-the-air feeling in the band is what's, what's going to happen, who's it going to be, and you know, what just what's going to happen here, you know? It was a real strange situation. But uh, when we got Graham, I mean that was a that was a real godsend there. But of course, nothing lasted, you know. Mm. So what Nobody. was was it a gradual thing with Cozy 
Um, or was there one, can you remember there being one thing in particular, like maybe an incident that happened where Cozy just went, nah, this isn't for me? There wasn't an incident. It was just a gradual, you know, this is not going the way I've envisioned it. I've got better things to do, so I'm out of here. <laughs> that kind of thing. Did, did you hear maybe not directly from Cozy, but was there rumours even going around before then that you can be sure other bands might have been trying to get Cozy to play with them? Do you remember hearing anything like that? I didn't hear anything directly from anyone, and not from Cozy either. But I know that, you know, he was friends with lots of people in the business, big names, and uh, everybody wanted him to play with them in the the end. Mm. (laughs) So I'm... I'm not surprised he moved on rather quickly. Now, one of the things in the book that's mentioned about the Down to Earth record, um, Cozy was more of an album guy, and Richie wanted to go in a more commercial direction and have hit singles. And the one thing that always struck me about that record in particular was there's both on it. There's the hit singles on it, but it is a really cohesive record as well. And it must. I think it was probably just the one or two songs that made the singles that made Cozy leave. Yeah, he just didn't like the general direction that the band was heading. He didn't particularly want to do these, you know, hit love song kind of singles. He wanted to stay more in the hard rock thing. And of course, Richie wanted the commercial success. So that was it. Was kind of the beginning of the end there. Mm. Now, after Cozy left, um, did you keep in touch with him a lot? I did for a couple of years, and then we kind of drifted apart and uh, hardly talked to him at all after that. But every chance I got, I'd say hello through someone, and he'd say hello back, and that was kind of the way it was. But, of course, I never thought I'd ever not see him again, which turned out to be the case, sadly. Can you can you remember Colin how you found out that he that he died? Did someone call you or did you read about it? I found out. Jeez, uh, it was. Uh, I'm trying to remember now. Somebody called me and said, "You're not going to believe it." I can't remember who it was now. Might have been Don, because Don was always real close with him. You know, of course. Yeah. I can't I can't remember the actual call, but I mean, I remember being devastated to hear about it. Mm. Of course, the, the early report was kind of sketchy. Nobody was really sure of what had happened other than it being a tragic accident. Yeah. if uh, Colin, if, if someone was to ask you, like, to describe in a few sentences what Cozy Powell was like as a person, how would you describe him? <laughs> uh, well... Cozy and I, like I say, we just got along great from the get-go. He was a real gentleman, hilarious and down-to-earth, as down-to-earth a rock star as you could ever meet. I mean, he was one of the best, Mm. without a doubt. Yeah. Well, Colin, thanks for giving me some of your time. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Oh, you too. I hope you got what you need. I did. I got everything I needed. It's been a pleasure. (laughs) Have a good rest of the day. All right, you too. Thank you very much. No problem, Colin. Take care. Bye-bye. Wow. I definitely had some uh, great stuff to tell in uh, that talk with Richie, and I totally enjoyed that one. I was editing that up as well. And I think that whole extreme pranking thing, that's definitely a true English band trait. You know, I remember bands here, well, yeah, we would, you know, play pranks on each other a little bit, but never to the extreme of how a lot of the English bands got up to. So to hear Colin talk about some of that stuff was was pretty great. And if you want to know uh, more about that stuff from Colin, again, go out and get yourself a copy of A Heart Life. And uh, you'll hear all about all the stuff that Colin did out on the road with a Deep Purple and Rainbow. So I'd say that all in all, Richie had a pretty great idea of actually turning this week into a uh, a Cozy Powell episode. Nice nice idea by him and the fact that he, he basically pulled this off in the matter of a couple of days. I uh, really have to give it to him coming up with this idea and then making it happen. So thanks, buddy. Good job. And I know we haven't seen each other for a couple of weeks given all the crap that's going on. 
but uh, you're still pulling it off and allowing us to deliver Focus on Metal week after week. It's getting to the point that we may have to actually Skype each other to do discussions, which I think we've done once or twice in the past as well, but uh, the way it's shaping up right now, we may be having to do that again. But anyways, for this week, that's it. There ain't no more. Stick a fork in it. This puppy is indeed done. So, uh, you know, for Richie, myself, everybody else here at Focus on Metal, or in other words, here at Bedlam Studios, I hope you guys are being safe out there, taking care of yourselves, your families, and your fellow metalheads. And we'll be back again next week with yet more Focus on Metal. But until we are back again making our way into your little metal air holes, no matter how crazy the shit gets outside, remember... Focus on metal! Everything else is insignificant. Still here? It's over. Go home.